They're all making fun of me because uh, I'm old. We went, yeah, we went uh, wakeboarding uh, on Thursday, first time of the year because it's been so. The water's still really cold, but so we go out and we we got back and seriously, you know, this like right here, I got this. Oh, it's like my my back doesn't hurt; it's just really sore. This morning, before I come down, my my wife, I get out of the shower, I come in the bedroom, and I go, rub my back. Rip my back, and she's like, I'm like "Come on!" <laughs> oh, oh! So Sean moved the podium over, and I'm all, "Thanks." He's all, "Yeah, old man, sure." <laughs> hey, if you are new here this morning, uh, there's Bibles in the back. If you'd like a Bible, if you don't own one, you can have one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables. I talk kind of fast, and maybe I might mumble too, so you might want to grab one so you know what I'm actually trying to say. Should be good for you. Uh, if you are playing softball in our next softball season coming up in the summer, uh, you need to get your money into Britt Stanley this week because he pays for it himself and then needs to get the money back and, you know, he's not rich or anything. And then also the, the poker thing that you guys saw, it's actually co-ed. It's co-ed. Yay! We, well, we, the reason it's, woo! The reason we, it's funny, our fundraisers, poker parties, yeah. Welcome to Elmo. Um... We had Ronica Fork, because they're usually uh, men's get-togethers, so the guys can get to know some other guys and stuff. Uh, but Veronica Forrest, one of the ladies that she used in first service today, she's always like, what about the ladies? The ladies need to play poker. And I'm like, oh, so he did it. And she in first service, she's like, yeah, in the back. It was, it was wonderful. So, yeah, if you're a girl, you can come play poker, too. For some reason, girls always beat the boys, and I don't, I don't know why. Why don't you guys stand there? You're into God's Word. It says Psalm 17, verse 6, and it says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do ask that you would hear the prayers that we lift to you. Uh, you promised that you would, and you promised that you would answer. So have us be a people who learn how to communicate and talk with you and just simply speak to you as your children to our Father. And that would in turn translate into how we live our lives. Amen. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 6. Put your finger there, though, and then open to Luke chapter 9. Keep your finger. You'll get it. You'll be fine. Uh, we are almost finished with Ephesians. Got this week and next week, and we're done. It's like a college course, like 19 weeks, and we'll be done with this. Woo. Uh, today is going to be a, a little bit different. Uh, you may think when we get done talking today that you'll be like, well, that was so simple. It, it wasn't really like a normal message where I walk away scratching my head. That, this might be good for you. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you, when we talk about prayer, then I'm going to give you something to do. And when we talk about prayer so many times, people are like, oh, I think I'm supposed to, but I don't know how. I don't know what to say. So we're going to make this very simple for you. As we talk about prayer, then give you something to pray for. But if you haven't been here, I'm going to go back to the beginning and talk to you about everything Ephesians has said so far so you can be on board where we're at and why we actually pray. So far in Ephesians, we have seen in the first few chapters that Paul says our problem is sin. Sin is essentially the things that we do against God and each other that are evil, that separate us from each other. Sin equals death, and death separates people from each other. Yet, uh, the answer to this sin problem is Jesus. Sin is seen throughout the book of Ephesians as a barrier that separates us from God and us from each other. So Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, comes, lives in history, was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. He goes to the cross and he dies because death is the wage for sin. And this is important, though, because he did not die for his sin. He died for my sin, our sin, the sins of his people. 
So Jesus provides this wage for sin, forgiveness for sin, and victory over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus takes away our sin. And when Jesus takes away our sin and we believe, we can be reconciled to God, have this relationship with God again, and be connected to God. And when we are connected to God again, we call this Christianity. We talked about this last week. Come on, people. Okay. And then, actually, I talked about this for 19 weeks so far. And then from there, we can be reconciled to each other. When we are people who can be reconciled to each other again, we call that the church. Thank you, the four of you who listened last week. Great. Okay. The church. Okay. So Christianity and the church. The church is every person who believes in Jesus Christ upon the face of the planet. The church is not element. The church is all the believers everywhere. So from there, Paul tells us that this is all a gift by the grace of God in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that God has given us purpose and meaning and beauty, and then he's given us certain things to do in his name. These are called good works. We are not saved by good works, but we are called to do good works, Ephesians 2, 10. Then Paul then goes on to offer some prayers himself, and he speaks about how the church does not need to be divided by gender and race and generation and economic status, that we are to love each other as a family with God as our Father. He then connects us to our lives and how husbands are supposed to love their wives and wives are supposed to respect their husbands and fathers can raise their children and people can work their jobs and employers and employees can treat each other with dignity, love, and respect. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this is difficult because we have a real-life enemy named Satan, and where God wants us to live and love and joy and hope and peace, the enemy opposes that and brings chaos, sin, and death. And so Paul talks about how we should stick together and love each other, and then we can have victory in this battle that we find ourselves in. So what he does, he talks about our defense and what our defense looks like, and it's truth and righteousness and the urgency of the gospel and faith. So when the enemy comes up to you and says, yeah, I remember those things that you did before? Oh, you can't be forgiven for that. You can't be redeemed for that. God can't make something beautiful out of your life. What you do is you have faith that God has said, yes, I can. You believe in the truth that God has given. You say, the truth says that God says he can make something wonderful out of all the garbage that I've done. So Paul says you have these defensive weapons, and then he gives you two offensive weapons. The first one is called the sword of the Spirit, which is your scriptures. And the second one that Paul ends the whole idea of the spiritual armor with is that the most important aspect of this is prayer. Because this battle around us is not a battle among peers. It's not like God and Satan are equal opposing forces. Satan was kicked out of heaven and now wants to enlist man in his battle against God. And we find ourselves then accused and lied to and tempted all in an effort to get us to fight God ourselves. And so Paul encourages us as God's kids to cry out for God's protection and God's encouragement and God's wisdom because we have a part to play in this battle, but we have to lean on God to have any type of victory at all. This is like if you have kids and your kids are hanging out in the front yard and they're playing and having fun and all of a sudden some bully or some neighbor that's all crazy shows up and starts picking on your kids. Your kids cry out because someone's hurting them. You hear this. You go outside, right? You step in the middle of it. You open up your can and you reassert order. That's what a good parent does. And so Paul says, you have an enemy. And you may be having a hard time because the enemy is attacking you. Cry out. God will show up. He will open up his can and provide and protect for his children. And so in Ephesians today, this is a simple couple of verses. And we're just going to talk about prayer in its simplest form. Because you always get told, you need to pray, you need to pray. But the question that nag, lag, nags in the back of everyone's mind is, how do I actually do that? So the first thing I will tell you is this. The most important part of any relationship is 
No. Commitment. Commitment. Love is commitment. Uh, Romans 5.8 tells us you know, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is action, commitment to his people. It is not always a feeling. It is a commitment that goes beyond feelings. But the second most important part of any relationship is communication. There you go. See, it, you knew it was coming at some point. Prayer is simply communication with God. It is building this relationship, talking to him. God is committed to us, and he wants us to build the relationship with him. Now, this may sound rudimentary as I talk about some of the things here, but I'm just going to give you some forms of communication. What I do at Element when I talk to you, this is considered communication. I'm a bit odd and a little bit scatterbrained, I know. I have been told by certain people that they think that I don't like them or think that they are important. Uh, it's, it's, it's all because of my lack of communication skills. If I've ever been in a conversation with you and I have walked away in the middle of the conversation, it's not you. It is me. Okay, this is like a, like a bad relationship. It really is. It is just me. It's, it's not you because I do that to people. We haven't had a whole lot of problems at Element since we started, but I will tell you uh, all the problems we have had can be directly traced, traced to communication, usually my communication. I am the worst. This is why I preach because I'm the worst. I, I do very well this way. I have a hard time in discussion groups because I'd rather tell people what to think than to talk about it. I'd rather preach truth and go, this is what you should believe. I'm done. That's perfect. I, I frustrate our staff uh, because I'm always doing things. I frustrate our board. Uh, even just a month and a half ago, this thing kind of came up, and it was a great idea. We could be involved and really help out this thing. And I'm like, yeah, do it. Go for it. Let's just, you know. And then all of a sudden, the, the, our bookkeeper sends out an email to the rest of the board. Hey, where's this money coming out of? Uh, I didn't see it on, on the board agenda. Nobody talked about it. And everyone on the board's like, yeah, I didn't vote on this. What is this? And I'm like, oops, you know. <laughs> It's, it's just, I just, I'm always running at going at things, and I want to I want to help people and make things. And so I'm just I'm always running at stuff, but I I communicate very poorly. Uh, people who don't know me, a lot of times I will freak out because of my poor communication skills. And I'll tell you, if we didn't have the staff that we do, or the elders we do, or the board that we do, none of you would be here because you never get any communication at all. It's one of the reasons I give you little announcements before I actually start my message. It's helping me to communicate better. Uh, I know it's a problem. I've got to learn how to do it just a little bit better. Uh, husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. If husbands and wives stop talking to each other, they start to die. If a man never tells his wife that she is sexy and that she is beautiful and that she is so precious, what happens is the wife starts to think that her husband doesn't care about her. If a wife doesn't praise her husband, he will find someone to do something in front of that they will praise him for. Communication is central to a marriage. Boyfriends and girlfriends. Guys, you want a girlfriend? you got to talk to a girl. See, it's simple, right? Yeah? Uh, i got a friend. His name is John. He's taking a computer class at Hancock on Java. And so they're sitting in class, and the instructor has everybody tell, you know, what's your life story? How did you get here? What are you doing? And so John talks about how he's a Cal Poly graduate, and he's just learning some Java for things at work and things he wants to learn. going to write some iPhone apps so that we can, you know, make some money. Um, anyway, so you know, so he talks about that, and all of a sudden, this girl, after it's all done, turns around from the front row and starts talking to John about graduating from Cal Poly and you know, how how that works and everything. And so she's done. She turns around, and there's a guy, computer geek guy, sitting next to him, and looks over at John. And he goes, "Oh, I was so nervous for you when she was talking to you." <laughs> so guys, you want a girlfriend? You got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. Parents and kids. Your kids can't read your mind, parents. You must be talking to them. Your relationship with your kids will not grow if you don't talk to them. They will end up in therapy, or you will end up, in, or you're both end up in therapy together. Uh, kids, I will tell you this: you will end up grounded your entire life if you do not communicate with your parents. 
Call. Tell them where you're at, what you're doing, when you're going to be late. Let them know where you are. Uh, if you are an owner of a business uh, or, or a boss and you never talk to your employees or your customers, you won't have them very long. You may make the best hamburgers in the world, but if nobody knows, no one's going to show up. Right? See how simple communication is? All right. So why do we think any less of our relationship with God then? Why? Why do we think it's going to develop if we do not take time to speak to Him? Prayer is it's, it's not a one-way street. It is God speaking into our lives and you and I communicating with God. And many people say, okay, I got it. That, that's great, but I don't know how. You know, what's the proper way to pray? There are no rules anywhere in Scripture laid down for how you're supposed to pray, what you're supposed to look like as the prayer, what you're supposed to do. I was in Guatemala a few years ago. We were, there's this church plant that was getting on its feet, and we were helping construct this church for them. Uh, we were finally able to go to one of the church services with them, and I was astounded at how they prayed to God. People, they'd all be smiling, and they'd, oh, hi, how are you doing? Nice, and they'd sing songs. They're really happy. And someone would come up like this, and they'd walk up behind the, the thing up front to pray, and they'd go, Jesus! And everybody in the room would go, Jesus! And they would wail and bawl and scream at the top of their lungs. So this prayer would go on the whole time. It's in Spanish, too, because I don't understand a whole lot. So, you know, it's like, and they get done. Amen. Amen. And everybody's all, just start smiling again. I'm like, okay, seriously, this is so weird. Why do they pray like someone's just died in their, their midst? It's because I want thinking, on my mind, I'm going, who taught them how to pray like this? This is how you communicate with God. And we have some bizarre ways of how we communicate with God as well. But who taught us our ways? Do you know that in Scripture, there is nothing that is laid down of the proper way to pray? There are a myriad of ways throughout Scripture. Uh, there is arms outstretched on our knees in Ezra 9.5, silent while moving our lips, 1 Samuel 1.13, falling on our face, Matthew 26.39, dancing and singing, standing and bowing your head, falling to the ground, standing and shouting, clapping your hands, bowing down and kneeling, dancing with tambourine and harps. Please don't do that in the middle of a Sunday morning service. I'm just, if you're visiting today... On behalf of your pastor, don't do that in the middle of a... Okay. Uh, lifting up your hands in 1 Timothy 2. The list goes on and on and on throughout Scripture. There's a story of three preachers, and they're sitting around talking about the best positions for prayer. And while they're doing this, there's a telephone repairman standing in the back, you know, fixing some telephone lines. And so the first pastor, he goes, well, kneeling is the best. And the second pastor's like, no, 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 no. I get the best results standing with my arms outstretched to heaven. And the third guy says, no, 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 you're both wrong. The most effective form of prayer is when you're laying face down, prostrate on the floor. And so the telephone repairman just can't contain himself any longer. He looks at the guys and he goes, hey, you know what? The best praying I ever did was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. <laughs> and when I told that Wendy Stanley, who's one of the one of our deacons here, she comes up after first service and she goes, yeah, the best praying I ever did was when I rolled my car. It's like, boom, Jesus, boom, I got to, boom. And I'm hanging upside down. I'm like, dear God, please don't let me die. I mean, she goes, best praying I ever did. And I guarantee you, they didn't have telephone poles back when scripture was written, but if they did, it might actually be in there. It might actually say praying from a telephone pole. The whole idea that there is a right way is just crazy talk. A few years ago, I heard this guy named Howard Hugo, and he told this story about how he met his, met his wife. His wife's name is Linda. Her whole family's from Norway. He's, he's an American guy. So, so they meet, and they're going to get married. So she says, let's go visit my family so you can get to know them. 
So he goes, okay, they hop on a plane, they go to Norway, and they go to what's called Morfar's house, which is mother's, father's house. So they're having this huge, you know, barbecue get-together thing. And so she, Linda's in the kitchen cooking, and Howard's out in the living room talking to all these people. And so they're looking at him, and he's looking at them, and there's just no communication whatsoever. Uh, aside from, so how do you like Norway? He's like, oh, it's great. Good. You know, and that's like it, you know, borsha, 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 like the, the chef from whatever. Okay. You know, and, so, and, and that's it. And so he finally gets frustrated, and he walks into the kitchen, and he goes, he goes Linda, you know, I'm sitting out here. I, I can't talk to anybody. It's driving me nuts. And she goes, well, why don't you just tell everybody to go in the kitchen, and, and we'll eat. And he goes, that's the problem. I can't communicate. And she goes, okay, walk out and say, scout espisa. And he, he goes, well, what does that mean? She said, that means let's go in here, and, and we'll eat. And he goes, okay. So he walks out, scout espisa, scout espisa. And he walks out there, and he goes, everybody, <clears throat> everybody's on. He goes, Scouty's Pizza. And they go, oh, borsh, borsh, borsh. you know, start laughing and, and stuff. And so Linda comes running out of the kitchen. She runs up and she's like, what, what's going on? And, and so they're all, borsh, borsh, borsh. She's like, what? And she starts laughing at Howard and he's like, what happened? And he goes, okay. She goes, you did really good. You said, Scouty, and she goes, you know, let's go in here. But then you said, Pizza instead of Spisa. So what you said was, let's all go in here and fart <laughs> and not eat. And see, but this is the thing. Sometimes people are so afraid to pray to God because, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do it? I will tell you, God knows your heart. He simply wants you to communicate with Him, to speak to Him. And I will tell you, prayer does not happen automatically. I mean, we probably all feel guilty like, oh, I need to pray so much more. I just got to pray more. We think that if we just loved God, it would just flow out of us so much better. But that's not the case. Even with Jesus' disciples, the ones who had a front row seat to His life, they watched Jesus pray, and they still didn't pray as much as they probably thought they should have. So Luke chapter 9, verse 29, where I had you guys stick your finger. Remember, you're like, oh, yeah, that was like half an hour ago. And, yeah. <laughs> Luke 9, 29. This is talking about Jesus, and it says this. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Does that happen when you pray? Like, dear God, Lord. No, it doesn't happen to most of us. His disciples thought, man, what if Jesus could teach us to do that? That'd be awesome. Go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is a startling request for a Jew to make because Jews prayed all day, every day for everything. By the time you got up and the time you went to bed, to every little thing that you did, they had a prayer for. We actually talked about this in our first week of Esther a little bit, but they had a prayer for everything. And so what is here is they not, they're not asking for the words. They're asking to have a hunger and a thirst for it like Jesus did. The point is, teach us to pray. Prayer is a learned behavior. Uh, and this then goes into what's called the Lord's Prayer. And just so you don't think I'm pulling one thing out of Scripture, I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 9, which is also the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. So they go, Jesus teaches to pray. How do you pray? So he gives this answer, what's called the Lord's Prayer. And this is not a say this. It's not something we repeat this Lord's Prayer. This is a pattern for what prayer is supposed to be like. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 is this Lord's Prayer, just like Luke 11. And Jesus says this, Our Father in heaven. So what do you do? The first thing? You address him. Who are you talking to? You know, it's not like, hey, John, it's, it's 
Father in heaven. Okay, God, I'm talking to you. Second thing, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means holy. It means God is different. He is not like us. So you praise him. Father, you are awesome. Thank you for saving me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You ask for him to show you his will in your life. God, show me your will. I want to walk in your ways. Uh, Then he says, give us our daily bread. That's when you make your requests. You know, because we all have tons of requests and things we want to pray for. And he says, forgive us our sins. We forgive those who have trespassed against us. So you repent from your own sins and you forgive other people who have sinned against you. And he says, lead us not to temptation. So you ask for guidance, how to live a life with purpose. And then most of you probably have a little one there or an A or something right there. And that refers to a lot of the manuscripts that we have actually end with, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So you praise him. So essentially, your pattern. You address, God, you are awesome and holy, and thank you for saving me. Please show me your will for my life so I know how to live and walk. I have all these requests. I got, you know, my dog's sick, my wife's mad at me, you know, my car doesn't run. You, know, you, you make your requests right there, but before God. And you, then you say, you know, and God, thank you for forgiving me for my sins. Help me to forgive others who sin against me because it is so hard to do. And then give me guidance. Show me how to live this life you call me to, for you are great and holy. Bam, there's the pattern. He said, this is, if you don't know a way to pray to address God, that's a great place to start, right there. So go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our text. So, so Paul says, you know, pray, pray, pray. Jesus says, pray, pray, pray. The disciples say, we want to learn how to pray, pray. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, because there's no other way to actually pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You pray because it builds relationship with God. So what I'm going to do with this in mind the simplicity of what prayer actually is, is I want to give you some things to pray for. Because many times it's like, okay, I should pray. What should I pray about? I'll give you some things to pray about. Uh, Paul says, keep on praying for all the saints. We'll call you to prayer. The Bible's not just a book for us to argue about. It gives us things to do. So, you know, that's what we'll do. Pray for each other. First thing Paul says, do you have someone in your life you cannot get along with? Someone that just drives you nuts. Maybe the relationship has deteriorated. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? Do you lift them up before God? Uh, the relationship to begin to restore. I mean, you don't pray that, uh, I'll pray for them, God cut their brake lines or spoil their milk. You know, you, you pray good, good things for them. God, please begin to restore this relationship because I don't really want this relationship to be restored. But I know that you are a God about reconciliation. I'm to be a person about reconciliation, so help me to restore this relationship. You pray for others to continue in their faith. Then Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. For uh, the leadership in the church that, that you decide to attend, you should be praying for their leaders and their families. Because when Satan wants to destroy a movement, all he needs to do is take out the leaders. For on a personal note, I would ask you to pray for my wife and I. I will tell you, by God's grace, I intend to be here in this church loving my wife till Jesus steps foot on this planet again. Uh, and when he comes back, I tell you, he can have it all. He can do all the counseling and the preaching because he's going to be much better at it than I am. And he, 
you can have it because you guys are all crazy. Uh, but, but, that's, but that's my plan. I'm going to give Jesus my life. I'm going to give my wife my life. And I'm going to give you my life. That's what I plan to do. And so you pray, like Paul says, that your leaders would stick with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if God ever calls you out of element to go somewhere else, you should pray for the leaders in that church to stick with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus, period. It's the good news about Jesus and the story of what he has done. One God who came near to us, who died for his people, rose from the dead, redeemed us, transformed us, gave us hope, life, and purpose, and a future. Jesus. It is not about element. It is not about Reformed theology, though I think those can play a part, but it is about Jesus beginning to end. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. That means that he is the senior pastor of the church. He is. Everybody else is simply under shepherds. Jesus causes the church to grow, and he leads us to the future. Christianity is Jesus. Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So that's what we want to be about, lifting Jesus up. And by grace, we will live Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where we be imitators of God. Paul says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, because it is a stain upon the gospel of Jesus Christ when people are hypocrites. When people say, oh, I love Jesus, but we make everything about ourselves, because when that happens, our sins become very prevalent. Our lives look no different than anybody else's. But we are to be different. Not weird where we talk with a different vocabulary, but we are to be different in how we love and how we live and how we partner with God in the redemption of all things that he created as good. So, pray for those. And I want you to pray for Element as a church. If you attend here, this is a great thing to, to pray for. Element started two years ago with about 40 people. This, this room is was trashed. It went from one service to four, knocked out the back wall, and now we're back down to three, which is very nice for my sanity. Uh, and most of uh, what has held Element back a lot of the times is, is size of different things around here. Not just this room, but you know the bathrooms. We've got like one bathroom for guys and girls, and they're tiny. If you've ever been in there, maybe you couldn't get in there and be like, do they even have a bathroom? Yeah, because they're full, and you can't really get into the bathrooms. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, sometimes it holds us back is the things I say from up here, because uh, I'll tell you... Uh, I told this first service, we've got no air conditioner in here. And so it, it's like, we're like a premenopausal woman in here. It's like hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. And they're all, and I said, yeah, it's things like that. There you go. Okay. Uh, but, and, and so this, this is not the most comfortable environment to actually be in in this room. But you guys keep coming. We simply want to be part of what God is doing. It's not as John 3 says, the spirit of God is like wind. So we want to put up our sail and just go where he pulls us to go. So pray for element. And when you do that, pray for our future home. Pray for our future home. Uh, I'd like it to be here, but if you have five million bucks, we'll take it and buy the property. <laughs> but I don't see that happening. So at some point, we're going to probably have to move. They're going to tear all this down. They're going to kick us out. So I mean, imagine this. If we move and we got a room that was twice this size, which would be nice, uh, we'd have to have double the chairs. These are cheap chairs. You sit in them every week. You know they're cheap crappy chairs. Uh, they cost us 35 bucks a piece, and that's really cheap. If we had to replace the chairs that are in here, it would cost us $9,000 just to double the amount of chairs that we have. I think it, every, so pray for money, too. That'd be, anyway. <laughs> so pray for our future home. Pray for growth. Pray for growth. Some people hate this. Some will love this. Some people think, oh, big church, bad. Some people think small church, bad. Some people think medium church, bad, whatever. Uh, people tend to attach moral values to certain church sizes. Sociologically, people, what they will do is they'll attach health to what they actually like. I'll tell you, the issue is never church size. It is church health. So when you pray for growth, pray for church health, that we'd be a healthy place. Uh, you, that's why you pray for a healthy church, because the issue, again, is not you know, big family, small family. It is healthy family. 
You know, you can have six to eight kids and be a great, healthy, loving family. You can have one midget demon and be a bad family. You know, it's about health. And so we want to be a place where God put us, and we'll go with that. Uh, think about this. The early church, they start off, they got 120 people, you know, before Pentecost. 120 people. If you're there, you think, wow, this is, this is a great church. It's Mary, Jesus' mom. She's leading the mom's group, you know. She did a good job with that Jesus you know, it's great having her. Your Bible studies are led by Peter and John. You know, what? wow, this is, this is just amazing. Pentecost hits 3,000 people one day. Can you imagine? 120 one week, 3,120 the next week. It's just crazy. You're like, holy smoke. You walk in, you're like, hey, you're in my seat. They're like, I didn't know. Sorry, what's going on? You know, and all of a sudden, Peter and John, they go off to start planting more churches. And they're like, oh. Oh, it was so nice when it was 120. Come on. But that's not how it works. We do not get to be people who sit fat and happy while everybody else burns. That is not how it works. The transition happened in the early church in two ways. It happened in large group meetings like this where we all get together and worship God together and then in people's homes. Little congregations meeting together in communities. That's why we push small groups. You can't have 250 close friends. You can have 1 to 20 though. And so you get together in a small group. We cannot be a people who live in nostalgia. Uh, element will change. I, and, and I will be excited when it does change because things that are alive grow and things that grow change. You can't live in the past. If you are someone who's 40 years old and you're still wearing your letterman's jacket, take it off because it doesn't button up anymore anyway. It's just the way it is. Uh, there, there are no good old days at, at Element. In the good old days at Element, you used to have to bring your own chair. That's not the good old days. The good old days at Element, my, my friend Kathy San Jose couldn't walk to the back of the hallway because there was too much mold and she's allergic to it. And she's like, I can't breathe. You know, so we had to spray her of it and replace stuff. And now she can walk to the back of the hallway. So the good old days aren't the good old days. You know, every, everything in the past is simply to prepare us for the future that God is bringing. And I will tell you this. You must also do your best to offer hospitality to people. Uh, someone comes in and doesn't know anybody. You know what you need to do? Say hi. Say, you see someone you don't know. Go say hi. Go say hi to somebody. It's awkward being in, in a new place. Because we're not going to be all weird about it. Don't ask us to put name tags on new visitors. Because, like, that's not awkward. Like, here, here's a name tag, you know. Oh, you got a name tag. You must be new. I, one church was like, oh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to have all the new people stand up, and we're going to sing the new visitor song to them. Yeah, like, yeah, welcome to the exorcist. How you doing? Now I'm going to put big yellow hats on visitors. You just be nice, and you go say hi. See how simple that is? Simple. Growth and gospel, hand in hand, you're doing it. Uh, I also ask you to pray for your city, uh, the city that we live within. We are not trying to hide from our city. We want to be here because we love the city. We want to seek the city's prosperity and blessings for our city. We want to be a church for the city. We want to see the city see us as a blessing and an ally. First Peter, or, or, sorry, Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So pray for your city's elected officials. Pray for them. You, you ever pray for your mayor? Aha! Oh, one of us. Yes. Pray for our elected officials. You need to. You need to that they would make good decisions for the city and good decisions for God's people as well. Uh, if, if there are 300 of us that show up today, that, that's a large economic force. You can make an impact by your guys' dollars going somewhere. So pray that we would be kind and gracious and generous to our city. 
Most of you at today, you'll probably go out to eat lunch somewhere. You be kind and gracious. Tweet, treat your waitresses and waiters with respect and dignity. Let them see you guys enjoying life with each other and enjoying them. That means tip. Tip. Don't be like, oh, here's your two quarters. Thanks very much. Tip well. Tip. Anybody a waitress or a waiter in here? You're welcome. Okay. There you go. Uh, you know, th- pray also. I'd say also pray for our region, uh, where where we live and, and the surrounding areas where we live, and then even in our nation in that. Uh, because as, as element grows larger, we will have a greater ability to do things like mercy and kindness. And so pray for our own giving as well, because we take 10% of everything that comes in here, and it gets set aside. We don't touch it except for uh, world relief and church planting. That's what we use it for, so we can help people out there. I'd also like you to pray about opposition. Uh, not like, oh, bring us opposition. We don't want a whole lot of that, but pray about it because it always comes. Uh, and element, we have done okay so far, but as we grow and make a long-term stake in our city, more people will come to Element who have an opposite agenda and will try and force us to do what they want us to do. We're not any other church. We are Element. We are unique. We're what God called us to be. If anything other than the scriptures or what God has called us to do comes in and tries to rear its head, we will not go there. We will simply go with what God calls us to and the scriptures. We will not change our theology to match culture. We, will, we might change some ways we do ministry to try and reach some people, but our theology will stay the same. We will reach out in love as best as possible. And I also like you to pray against false teachers. Uh, because scripture tells you that any time a church begins to grow, Acts 20, 30, and 31 says false teachers will come in. They'll try and distort the gospel and move you away from what God calls you to do. The greatest threat to most churches is not external. It is internal. Because somebody has a friendship or have an influence somewhere and they have this bad theology and they try to create division in the church. The prayer for this is that we should be those who stick with Jesus, the scriptures, and stick together, always humbly moving forward to what God calls us to do. Uh, we have a thing called the gospel class. I think the next one's going to start in August. If you, even if you don't want to become a member, you should still go to the gospel class. It's seven weeks. It's basic Christian theology. It'll let you know if you're on the same page as us or if you're a crazy, freaky heretic. All right? it'll, it'll let you know. You're welcome. That's my gift to you. All right. So, so figure, figure that out. Uh, praying. You pray, pray, pray. Uh, praying sometimes. People don't know what to pray for. So what I did is, is these things are up here. They're actually in the, the bulletins this morning, the, the sermon notes. And so take that home if you don't know what to pray for. Stick it on your fridge like bad art by your kid or good art by your kid, whatever, you know. And, and stick it on your fridge. And so when you open your fridge, you see it. You look at it and you're like, okay. I'm going to pray for these things. If you're on our prayer list that goes out once a week, you will actually get uh, these things on your prayer list this week for you know Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You'll get something to pray for every day of the week. But I encourage you, grab one and take it. Stick it on your fridge. Or if you're a single dude, you don't have a fridge, stick it on your microwave. You know, and, and look at it. And when you open it, go, oh, and just grab one of those and pray for them. Start talking to God. Pray, pray, pray. Don't get discouraged. Do not get discouraged when you say, oh, I'm not praying enough. Do not get discouraged because nobody ever masters prayer. Uh, Thomas Merton, in, in his book, what did I say it, John? How do you say it? Contemplative Prayers. Yeah. Anyway, Thomas Merton wrote a book called Contemplative Prayers. And in this book, talking about prayer, he says, We do not want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. And this is true. We are, we are simply children. And we are crying out to our Father, who is a good dad, who longs to hear his kids talk to him. So you pray, pray, pray. If you know what to pray for, again, grab that. And just pray for some of the stuff in there. And start talking to God, whatever it is. 
You hop in your car, you're driving to work or school, somebody cuts you off, talk to God about it. God, I'd really like you to run that guy off the road right now, but please teach them to have some patience. And me too, because I'm very upset right now. I mean, whatever it is that comes up, just start praying about those things. Throw them out there because God longs for his people to talk to him. And it builds relationship. This morning, uh, part of our worship is prayer. And if you need prayer for anything, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back uh, to pray with you. And if you do not know Jesus, that's a great place to start, knowing Jesus. Because that will actually you know, build that relationship when you actually know him. So there you go. Uh, we're going to worship God through communion. There's um, communion all around the room where you take that cracker and you break it and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. Uh, the cracker represents Christ's body that was broken for us. The wine and the grape juice represents his blood that was shed for us so that we can be a people who have restored and redeemed relationship with him. Uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, again, while they play, I ask that you would... Uh, Pray a little bit where you're at. Seek God, sing some of these songs with them, uh, and, and then go up and take communion. We also ask that you know, you'd worship God through giving. There's offering box on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship. And there's food and coffee and stuff in the back next to the bathrooms, the ones you can't get into. Uh, and, and we would also, in that, ask that you would spend some time getting to know some other people. Because, again, uh, part of our worship is living in community with other people. So we invite you to do that as well. There's a small group sign-up sheet in the back if you guys want to be in a small group. Test the waters, you know, figure it out, see what a small group is like. Uh, and then maybe you can actually begin to pray with some other people. And then your relationship can build because you're doing it in community as well. God is a good God, and he longs for his kids to pray to him. So start talking to him. It'll be amazing when you do. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this morning you would take our hearts and remind us of the importance of building communication with you. God, you have spoken so clearly to us. Not just in your redemption, but in your words and that your spirit that you place within us to lead us and guide us. And so I ask that we'd be those who start talking to you as well. God, have us understand that, that it's okay if we don't know what to say or necessarily how to do it all the time because we are children. And you are our great and good God who just says, talk to me. Father, we ask that you would take us to the place where we would not only see the value of this communication and prayer with you, but that we would be able to see it as necessary for our entire life. And that our relationship with you would be strengthened and grow to the place where prayer becomes natural and it just flows out of us. And we find ourselves, rather than getting angrier things around us, we just start bringing everything to you in all that we do so that our minds and our hearts and our lives change and that you are honored and lifted up because you are the only one worthy of glory. So this morning, speak to us. Teach us to speak to you. Thank you for being so good. Amen.